Uh, again, thank you all. Welcome to Abundant Life. Uh, my name is Elder Robin. Again, Pastor Scott will not be here this morning, but I hope to give you uh, just some words of encouragement, uh, just some words that I believe God has given to me for you today. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew, the 18th chapter, and uh, those words will be on screen as well, but Matthew 18, if you can find it. Um, <clears throat> just to let you know, when I was a child, I grew up in a small town uh, called Oakwood Village in Ohio. And in this town, um, and as growing up, I, um, you know, one of my greatest memories was going to the amusement park. Um, we had one of those not too far from us. It was actually a 20-minute drive from my house to this park called Geauga Lake. Actually, once I got older, it's, it's just like Six Flags. It was actually turned into a, a Six Flags amusement park once I became an adult. So this is just one of those things I loved to do when I was a kid. Had a bunch of roller coasters and games and a lot of fun things to do. Um, but I remember the ride to the amusement park. The ride there, uh, in my mind, even though it was just a 20-minute drive, uh, we were very close. It was a 20-minute drive, but to me, in my mind, it seemed like it took at least two hours to get there. Just because I was just so anticipating the rides and the food and the games and the variety of things that we could have fun with as a child. And I just remember, and I, and I wasn't one of those, you know, with my dad, it wasn't, you know, you didn't just say, you know, how, you know, are we there yet kind of thing. You just kind of sat quiet and waited until we got there. But in my mind, it was just took forever. And uh, when I got older, I was able to drive that route myself and try to figure out why it seemed like it took so long to get there. But maybe that was just me being excited about getting there. So, um, but, you know, regardless of, of um, what happened, you know, this was, this was one of those, those places that, um, you know, you had your ups, the, the roller coasters, ups and downs. If it went around in circles, I was on it. If it flipped you upside down, I was on that ride. And we also lived uh, maybe an hour and a half from this park called Cedar Point. It was in uh, Sandusky. Those of you from Ohio know that park and about <laughs> Still some Ohio folks. But, <laughs> but um, about two and a half, three hours away was a park called Kings Island. And so... Kings Island again, amusement parks in Ohio. But, we, um, but it, it was like they were in, in competition with each other. It seemed like every year they would come out with a new ride, and I would always challenge myself to get on the newest, the latest and greatest, the fastest, the deepest dropping ride and roller coaster that I could find. I was the kind of person who sought, sought those types of things out and tried to challenge myself to enjoy that ride. No matter what it was, no matter how fast, no matter how tall it was, I wanted to enjoy that ride. So that was one thing that I really enjoyed as a child. And I noticed that, you know, once my kids, I have three of them, you know, uh, uh, one, one of the boys was more adventurous, sort of like I was. He loved to, to ride the rides. And um, I had another one, the older one, not so much, right? It was, it was, they were very different. I think I may have damaged him a little bit when he was too young. I was so excited that I had a riding partner because, you know, my wife wasn't excited as I was about riding rides. So I was like, well, maybe when the kids get older, I'll have a riding partner. So I put the, the oldest one on a ride, I think, too soon. And I don't know if that scared him to death or that was just his personality. But, you know, one of them enjoyed it. One of them just didn't like it as much. And, uh, but, but you notice, like, when they were getting ready to get on the ride, um, once they got a little bit older, you know, the, the, I guess the second one, he was just so excited. The older one, he seemed like he would smile, and 
they would play around in line and they'd joke around. And, um, but once we got on the ride and you turn that corner and you start going up that hill and you kind of that click, as we go higher and higher and slowly, that, that smile that he was just trying to play it around, trying to play it, play it off and suck it up, trust building on the ride, kind of turn. Just, just trying to get there, trying to, you know, I'm with my family, I'm with my brother, they're going to talk about me, my brother and sister are going to talk about me. So, um, And you could see the difference with a lot of people who are getting on that ride. There some who would just close their eyes, some would cover their eyes, but then you have some, like my second son, he'd have his hands in the air, and he and I would just be ready to go. We hadn't got to the top yet, and we didn't know what was over that, that hill. You know, especially the first time you, you get on a ride, you don't know how fast that, that thing is going to go down. You don't know how deep that drop is going to be. You don't know how it's going to make you feel when you go fast down that first, that first hill. But um, with us, we anticipated the ride. We anticipated the ups and downs and the loops and the flips. We didn't know what it was going to be, but we were determined that we were going to enjoy that ride no matter what. And so um, many parks have, when you finish the ride, they have, you, you leave and they have the store, right? And a lot of them take pictures. So um, we would get off the ride and take a look and see what we look like. It's usually it's, it's a hidden camera somewhere and they try to find out, well, you know, you can look at your expression, you know, at the deepest part of the ride. And uh, so we see our the second son who was just happy and his hands in the air and smiling. My daughter was doing the same thing. But when I looked at my first son, it was, you know, just a, a look of terror. It was, I hadn't, you know, I could, you could see in his eyes. It was like he was not happy with the fact that he had to be on that ride. Even though he tried to put on, you know, put on a good face at the beginning, he was not enjoying that ride. And, and I said that to say this, you know, I think this is our life. You know, sometimes, like a roller coaster, it goes up, it goes down, it could be fast, sometimes it can go slow. You know, at times it can be downright scary, especially when you're dealing with people who seem, seem to be determined to make your life miserable on a daily basis. Anybody ever deal with folks that try to make your life miserable? You know, how do we deal with the ups and downs of life? How do we handle the mountains high and the valleys low that we have to go through in life? Sometimes it's due to the situation we're in, and sometimes it's because of the people we have to deal with. But regardless of how it happens, you know, how should we, how should you and I approach life when bad people and bad things happen? It's easy to handle good and happy in our lives. That's easy to do. We wake up, things are good, no problem. But how do we deal with the unhappy? How do we deal with life when things just aren't going right, especially when we're dealing with different personalities? So I, I just hope to encourage you today from a message I call, life is full of ups and downs. Will you choose to enjoy the ride? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to hear from you and your word, Lord. We just ask that you open our ears, Lord, that we might fully hear you and the words that you have for us, Lord. 
And Lord, we uh, just ask that you just pen- help it to penetrate our hearts, Lord, um, that we might be encouraged through your word. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Life is full of ups and downs. Will you choose to enjoy the ride? Difficulty happens. More specifically to the, to the topic today, difficult people happen in your life. As believers, how do we deal with it? How do we approach life knowing that offensive people are are all around us on a daily basis? In Matthew 18, and I'll be reading from 1 through 7, it reads, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him. Uh, in the midst of them, and said, Surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no, by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Jesus is with his disciples. And he comes across, I believe, a teachable moment. You know, he comes across the opportunity uh, to teach them and us how to deal with difficult people. So in verse 1, the disciples were obviously arguing about their own greatness. You know, they, you know who, who is it, who, who is to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the question they asked Jesus. You know, they, they couldn't get on the same page and agree with which one of them was greater than the other. Anybody ever had that discussion with anybody? I don't know. I, but they, they obviously were in a discussion with uh, each other about who was the greatest. And, and we have to understand that they believed that when the Messiah came to them, uh, that was it. You know, Jesus was going to establish and set up his kingdom right then and there on earth. And if Jesus established his kingdom, that meant that he was going to avenge their enemies and strike down all of those people who had been mean to them and persecuted them for such a long time. And if this is true, then he was going to need a second in command. He's going to need a need a a chief elder, a chief administrator, someone that Jesus um, would say, this is that guy. This is the guy that Jesus could depend on to help him run and rule his kingdom. So as the disciples talked amongst themselves, they couldn't come to an agreement. So, So they said, well, let's ask Jesus. I'm sure he'll agree with me and not you, right? So they asked Jesus, and, and so imagine that Jesus is, is here, and imagine that the disciples are all around, and uh, they're standing, and, and, here, and Jesus hears them arguing over this question. And based on uh, what Jesus said later, uh, his response, the underlying question was that they knew Jesus would eventually protect them and take revenge on their enemies and those who had offended them greatly but which one of them would have the greater role in helping Jesus do this? Which one of them had proven themselves to be 
the greatest among the disciples, and therefore the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Who was amongst them the best of the best? And Jesus saw this teachable moment and took this opportunity to help them understand what it meant to be the greatest in his kingdom, as well as teach them how to deal with the offenses of others. How are they to deal with the offensive behavior of those who challenge them on a regular basis? The ups and downs, the fast and slow, the hills and the valleys. How do they maintain the Christianity that Jesus was teaching them in the face of this massive level of adversity and offense? And so this is something that Jesus not only wanted them to understand, but of course, he also wants for us to understand this as well. So in verse 2, Jesus called a little child to him, and he set them in the midst of them, and he said, Surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become like this little child, unless you be converted and become like this little child, uh, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, so, so this was not at all what they were trying to hear, right? They just finished arguing uh, for, for only God knows how long about, how, about which one of them will be the greatest. And, and Jesus said something that probably threw them off a little bit because Jesus could have easily and rightfully pointed to himself and said, I'm the greatest. And it would have been true, it would have been accurate, and he just could have left it at that. But he wanted to teach you and I something. So I, I, I hope that you're listening to what Jesus is teaching us. But instead of doing this, instead of just pointing to himself, he calls over this little child, and he brought him into the middle of the group of disciples and told them that unless they become converted, unless they change their ridiculous mindset of outward greatness, and dependency on their own strength and ability, and then become like this child. They couldn't even enter. If there was a back door to heaven, they couldn't get into to it that way. They couldn't get into the kingdom of heaven unless they become like this child. So unless they change their ways and stop believing that their salvation was anything to, has anything to do with them and take on the humility and obedient nature of this child, they could not receive what God truly has for them. And this, this might have been difficult for them because of how they viewed children in their culture and in that period of time. They knew that in that day, children were regarded more as property than as individuals. It was, it was understood that they were uh, to be seen and not heard. A child was a person of no importance in the Jewish society. They were not to be taken seriously except as just a mere responsibility, and they were to be looked after, not to be looked up to. So what does it mean to become like children? What are the obvious qualities of children, and conversely, what are setbacks of not being like a child, which would ultimately hinder our relationship with Christ? For one, children are not threatening. Children are not threatening. We're not afraid to 
to walk, uh, you know, we're not afraid to meet a, a five-year-old in a, a dark alley, right? You know, um, when we walk around with this tough and intimidating presence, you know, we aren't presenting ourselves like Jesus and like he requires from us. So, you know, we're just not, if you look at a child and uh, there's just nothing usually but sweetness to them for the most part, unless you're the parent and you understand what's going on at home. But for the most part, you see them, you're not scared of them. So they're not threatening. Number two, children are not good at deceiving people. They're actually, they're, they're actually pretty miserable failures at fooling their parents. If you're a parent, I think you might understand, you know, uh, when, they're, when they're not telling the truth, when they're doing something, when they've done something, when they took the cookie out of the cookie jar, we kind of understand that even though they try to say no, even though they try to hide, even though they try to get over on you and deceive you, they're, they're really not that great at it. So children, in the nature of children, they're not good at deceiving people. However, when we, when we are good at hiding ourselves and when we are good at deceiving others, we aren't presenting ourselves in a Christ-like manner. Next, a child has yet to experience the fullness of humanity. And what I mean, as, as we get older, we experience uh, lies and immorality. We start to distrust God and his word because we've seen too much. We've seen too much bad human behavior, and we sometimes start to think that God thinks and acts like a human being. We might even have difficulty coming to terms with the fact that God is actually not a human. He is not a human. And, and, but because of what we've experienced, we put him uh, on, we, we put that, that human quality on him. We give him human qualities. Humans lie. God doesn't. Humans are deceitful and manipulative. God isn't. God is not human, and as a quality of him not being human, you have to understand that it's not even possible for him to lie or deceive you like regular humans do. And we have to humble ourselves and change the way we think and understand God. Jesus knew that we, we must be converted, we must be changed, in order to be like little children and to be in a position to be the greatest. It isn't in our nature to take the low place and to humble ourselves. However, it is required if we want to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so in verse 4, it goes on to say, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, The one man who was there who was actually the greatest among them, was showing himself to be humble, just like that child. He could have pointed to himself, but he he wasn't concerned about his status. He didn't have to be the center of attention. And based on the fact that, that some random child came to him when he called him, uh, also uh, showed that he did not have an intimidating presence to children. So, so we're, we're, we're living our Christian life. At some point, those of you here today who have humbled yourself, accepted Christ, and trying your best 
to live a life that's pleasing to God uh, will deal with offense from somebody. Again, life has its ups and downs, hills and valleys. It can be good and bad, and sometimes all of that at the same time. And Jesus is trying to, to teach them and us how to deal with this offensive behavior from people in the world. And as a consequence to being humble, as a consequence to being the person that Jesus is saying that we need to be, as a consequence to, to not responding to people in a way we used to respond, people will try to persecute you. They will try to either knowingly or even unknowingly pull you back into the world that you were just delivered from. In verse 6 and 7, it says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned into the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Remember, we are on a roller coaster ride of life. Life has its ups and downs. Will you choose? Will you make the choice to enjoy the ride? Enjoying the ride is not always easy, but I believe there's comfort in knowing that God sees what we're going through and that he even has a warning for those who bring offense against us. But at, at, at the same time, while people all around us are offending us, we don't have to allow it to take us back to the place in our mind and in our behavior that preceded our deliverance. We don't have to allow someone else's behavior to take us back. Jesus said in verse 7 that offenses will come. Expect it. Believe it with your whole heart. Right? But in spite of all of that, don't let it take you back. Listen, Peter said in, in 1 Peter 4, 12, in the Amplified Version, it said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal uh, which has taken place to test you, that is, to test the quality of your faith, as though some strange or unusual uh, or something strange or unusual were happening to you. Instead, understand that life is full of ups and downs, good and bad, expected and unexpected. Some of the unexpected and expected can be either good or bad, but make the choice, regardless of what's going on, to just try to enjoy the ride. Don't be surprised at the, the fiery trial, the ordeals, the things that you deal with on a daily basis. Um, don't be surprised when it takes place, because it's there, again, to test the quality of your faith. And don't believe that it's just some strange thing that's happened to you. Um, it's there for a purpose. So unexpected, out of the ordinary, while you weren't looking for it, blessings happen. However, unexpected, out of the ordinary, while you weren't looking, moments uh, of offense will happen as well. I know just this past spring break um, uh, with my, my kids uh, in March, my son wanted to come home, and, you know, the request, the request for us was unexpected. 
um, because financially it would have been difficult. To, he's in, at the University of Idaho. He plays football up there. And depending on financially what's going on, he may or may not be able to do what he wants to do. So, um, you know, he, we, we saw, and it, it, it basically mainly was because um, he um, saved a lot of money. He saved some money throughout the past year. He told us during the Christmas break that he wanted a car. And so we saw how much money he saved, and we were like, well, we can help you out with that. But that means some other things down the road might have to suffer. So we helped him get this car. And so we just didn't expect that he would come home for spring break. And so out of the blue, we get a call from him, and we've come to find out that he and his brother were in cahoots and trying to figure out how to get him home. And uh, his older brother uh, knows a kid. We all knew this kid from kindergarten who uh, works for the airlines. And um, you know, usually, especially at the last minute, a ticket from there to here might cost about eleven or $1,200 round trip. And so we just definitely could not do that. And we didn't expect that to happen. We just knew he's not coming home. So enjoy your car, drive it around Idaho somewhere, you know, go find a potato patch and go have fun. So he gives us a call, and uh, he was like, well, we, we found out that we can get a standby ticket, and instead of it costing that much, it's only going to cost $270 for a round-trip ticket. And so we were just like, okay, well, um, we can do that, right? So, um, and this guy was working back behind the scenes. They actually ended up, once they changed the airport, it was like $320 or something like that, but it was still good. And uh, so he got on the plane and he came home. That was unexpected for us. It was unexpected for him, but it was good. We wanted to have him home. We enjoy when they come home. And so he got on the plane. This guy, a friend of ours, was working behind the scenes and got him standby ticket for wherever he went and went from Seattle to, or from, from, U, from Idaho to Utah, and then from Utah to Houston, and he missed his connecting flight in Houston. Uh, I guess there was something going on in Jacksonville. I think it was the Gate River Run happening in Jacksonville. Unexpected. They didn't understand why he couldn't get a standby place uh, coming from Houston to Jacksonville. So he went to North Carolina just so I guess so he wouldn't be sitting around. But he was, he was flying around all day, uh, went to North Carolina, and got there, missed the connection to Jacksonville again. And so they were like, well, in order to get this flight to Jacksonville, you're going to have to wait until 8 o'clock in the morning, and then it, there's no guarantee uh, that you even get a ticket on standby. And so he, uh, and he had already at that time been flying around um, for probably 18 hours that day, um, sleeping on the airplane, sleeping in the airports. But for him, and I asked him uh, later, I was like, well, you know, was that worth it for you? He was like, yeah, I just slept on the plane and got some sleep, and that was fine with me. But we figured out, well, he, the guy who was working with him said, well, we can get you to Orlando. And um, we were just like, well, if you can get him to Orlando, because it's still we'd have had to wait till 8 o'clock in the morning, but if you can get him to Orlando, we'll get up, we'll drive down there. It's only a couple hours, um, and we'll pick him up from there. So it was Friday night. We didn't have anything to do Saturday. We got in the car, drove down there, picked him up, got home about 3 o'clock in the morning. So long day, crazy. And so we were just thinking, I know 
for him and for us, it was just unexpected, out of the ordinary, just out of the blue. A lot of things just happened in that day that we just didn't plan for, but it happened. But when we look back on it, it was okay, you know, and um, it, was, it was not a, a big ordeal for us, even though there were some fan financial ups and downs, uh, it was the unexpected, and we just chose to enjoy the ride. And so that trip was just unexpected. So he came home with us, and, but we had prior plans, right? We weren't expecting him to be home. Um, we were going to go up to North Carolina to visit our daughter, who plays softball, up in, uh, at um, St. Augustine's University. And so um, that was the plan for that week. So he came home, he was there for a few days, and we we're just like, well, you have to come with us. You, we're not gonna just leave you at the house um, by yourself. College guy who plays football. And <laughs> so we, we took him with us, and so we drove up to North Carolina, and, um, and his sister didn't know he was coming, so for her, when she saw him, she's just jumping for joy, unexpected blessing for her because she saw her brother. Her brother came to visit her and watch her play. Uh, never done that. And so she was just very happy to see him. So we were there um, unexpectedly. And that just happened to be our anniversary weekend. And we had our son with us. So <laughs> y'all think through that one. Um, so that was different for us. We had to make some adjustments, but um, we were there. We had a good time. We just love because we, you know, we're empty nesters now, so we don't see them all the time. And uh, when we can't see them, it's a great thing. And so we were there watching a few of his game or her games, and um, actually put him on a plane back to Idaho because his spring break was over. And we sent him uh, there from North Carolina. Got him there early Saturday night to the airport. And uh, we're there to, to see our daughter. And, you know, we were expecting to just finish the games on Sunday, come back to Jacksonville, and just drive back here, and uh, that would be our weekend. And so they finished their last game. We're actually sitting out in 34 or so degree weather up there, uh, freezing, uh, and watching those games. And um, at the end of the game, you know, sometimes if, if you ever watch pretty much any game, they huddle up at the end uh, with the coaches and, um, you know, taking way longer than they should. And <laughs> we're freezing, huddling up and trying to stay warm. But she comes back and she's jumping around. She's excited and she's just like, well, you know, even though they weren't supposed to come home, they were supposed to stay there for four days and practice throughout spring break. She's just like, well, our coaches said we can – come home as long as we're back by Monday the next week. So she's like, can I come home? I'm like, okay, my wheels are turning, and I'm like, okay, can we afford this? We're going to drive her back, but we got to fly her back here because I'm not driving back seven hours to get back up to North Carolina next week. So we figured, well, I figured, well, it's not going to cost that much. And so I said, yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and take you home. And so she was here for spring break, and um, we put her on a plane, and so. But for, for her and for us, again, that next week, unexpected, out of the ordinary. While we weren't looking for it, things happened. But you know, needless to say, you know, she was happy uh, for being home for spring break, and uh, we fly to Florida back. And um, you know, when we look at that experience as a whole, even though it had its ups and downs financially, and we had some uh, last-minute changes to our schedule, 
it was, was a very good experience for all of us. Our children were able to come home for spring break, and um, we were able to enjoy their company. So it had its ups and downs, but it, you know, we made a choice through all of that experience. We just chose, no matter what, we we're going to enjoy the ride. We we're going to enjoy, no matter what happened, it was an opportunity for us to make some good things happen. And granted, that roller coaster ride of problems was, was very, very minor. You know, but we chose to enjoy the ride. Sometimes major offenses uh, and offensive behavior will come at you unexpectedly and be out of the ordinary while you weren't looking for it. But Jesus said that offenses will come. It will happen. We have to recognize that it will happen, but we can't be stifled by the offense. We can't allow it to stop us from being who God wants us to be. Remember, Peter said, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials, which is there to try you, there to try your faith, uh, as, as though some strange thing just happened to you. We can find comfort in the fact that God will deal with his offenders and with our offenders. We also have to remember that just because people are going to church, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily a part of God's church. Now, much of the offense we get from people you experience at church and the feelings of what people call church hurt come from people who are either not saved but acting the part, actually saved but not conducting themselves as real Christians, or it's simply you holding people to a much higher standard than you should. We're all imperfect. So regardless of which one of these are true for you, don't let it knock you down. Don't think it's strange. Try a little bit harder to show grace when you feel like someone has offended you. Life just has its ups and downs. Just make the choice to, to enjoy the ride. Jesus said in verse 5, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Since the nature of Jesus is like one of these little children, we have to treat those who are like, we have, we have you, know, you know, how do we treat those? Uh, who are like Jesus, uh, those who are humble like children. It shows that um, how we treat people um, shows how we truly think about Jesus. If you despise people who are humble for the sake of Christ, you are actually despising Jesus. How you treat people will expose you as the offender, and if it's you, you really need to change your behavior. You need to humble yourself, and take on all of the qualities of a child so that you can get closer to being great and in a position to enter God's kingdom. Jesus takes it very seriously when one of his little ones is led into sin. Little ones does not only mean children, but those, as I described earlier, who humble themselves as children. It is a wicked thing to sin but it's a far greater evil thing to lead others into sin. Leading one of Jesus' little ones into sin is far worse than your own sin because you invite someone to participate in a pattern of sin that corrupts 
whatever innocence they had. All the seeds that were sown in order to get that person to the point where they were ready to receive Christ is corrupted by your discord, by your offensive behavior. Jesus says as it relates to the person who causes one of his little ones, one of his little children, one of his young Christians especially, to sin, he said that it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned into the depth of the sea. And this was a severe image uh, for the Jewish person. The, the millstone was a very large stone. In this example, uh, that, that it would, would have been large enough that it would have to have been pulled around by a mule. So the stone and anything attached to it uh, was sure to sink very quickly and never come back again. We see that in the scripture as it relates to the sea, Jesus uses deep water in several examples, but in this example, it talks about being drowned in the depth of the sea. The very picture of being drowned in the sea um, was just terror for the Jew. Uh, the Romans would actually use drowning as one of their punishments. So the picture of not only drowning in the deepest, darkest part of the sea, but, but having this gigantic boulder hung around your neck, pulling you all the way down to the bottom of the sea with absolutely no way of getting back up would be terrifying to anyone, but especially to them as they saw the Romans use this as torture. So in verse 7, it goes on to say, Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. Woe to that man by who brings that offense. So the first woe is an expression of pity. God teaches that he would not restrain the lust of men's heart and that he would allow them to walk in their own ways. People all around you uh, will do and say offensive and ungodly things. Life will have its ups and downs, and you're going to find yourself in unexpected and out-of-the-ordinary situations because of offensive people and the things that they do. The second woe is a warning. It's a warning to the person who does the offending. The offensive person is guilty before God, and they have no excuse. When Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery because of their hatred and jealousy for him, um, was that a good thing or a bad thing? It was a bad thing, right? No matter the end result, what his brothers did to him was horrible and an offense against Joseph. However, God used it to send him ahead to Egypt, and he ultimately was used by God to save his entire family. Now, they could have said, well, hey, it all worked out for the best. God used it for good. It's probably not sin since God used that situation to deliver us even though we did a bad thing. But I think God would say no and not at all. Offenses must come. That's a certain. And God will use the offense of others in our lives. But the offender is still responsible as being the one by whom the offense comes. And the offender will have to deal 
uh, with God in a way that God sees fit to deal with them. So what does that teach us? This teaches us that we have permission to just let it go. Let go of the anger. Let go of the bitterness. Let go of the hatred against people because of what you think they did to you or even what they actually did to you. Let it go. Why? Because God promises to deal with them. If you try to do it on your own, then, then you just handled it. I guarantee that God handling it will be much more severe than you handle it, than you handling it. God's got your back no matter what. And, and I understand if it's something extreme, if you're a child and there's something extremely extreme going on, you want to make sure someone knows about it. But ultimately, God has your back. You know, the Bible said that God can do exceedingly and abundantly more than you can even think or ask. Whether God decides to use you as someone who will help that person understand God's grace and lead him or her to salvation, or whether God will simply enact vengeance on that person because they messed with the wrong person, what ultimately happens to them is God's business. Jesus also commanded us, uh, gave us a command in Matthew 5, he said, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Pray for them. Do good to them. Love them. You never know if by your actions you could actually help bring them closer to God. I'm not saying that you have to be a doormat in every situation either. Proverbs tells us that sometimes you just need to remove yourself from that person or that situation. However, when you're called to stay in that situation, God expects you to act according to his word. Paul stayed in his situation until the end. Jesus stayed in his situation until the end. Job stayed and trusted God until the end and received a twofold blessing. Jesus is saying all of these things because he understands that we can't do it by ourselves. Proverbs 16 and 7 says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. However, this this won't happen when you insist upon doing everything your way and not God's way. People might not like you, right? They might hate you for who you are, for how you look. They might hate you for your color, your culture. They might hate everything about you. But through unseen by you circumstances, they will have no choice but to be at peace with you, but only when you do things God's way. Have you noticed that there's always that one person that makes your life miserable wherever you go? No matter if you change jobs, move to another city, join a different social group. Uh, you know, there's always that one person. And, I, and I've learned over the years that it, it's sometimes better to allow God to grow you in that situation or with that person so that God can mature you into handling it and even use that situation to graduate you to the next level. Allow that situation to mold you into a better, more patient person. 
A um, few years back, before I moved here, I worked um, as an account executive at a radio station, and I had this manager who I just thought was the worst, and I just wanted to get out of there. I just wanted to leave. Um, but, you know, I, I, I like, you know, was trying to be prayerful through the whole situation, and, uh, you know, and, I, and I, I, I'll be honest with you, I had thoughts when he wasn't there that I know he's coming through rush hour traffic. Maybe he'll get in an accident and die. <laughs> I'm, you know, but this guy was really on my nerves. So, um, but I, I was really trying to be prayerful about this whole thing. It's just like I know God might, I'm sure he has some reason for me being here. And so time went on, time went on. I dealt with it. God matured me, I think. And um, there was a time we went on a ride along and um, we were out and we were just talking. We happened to get into a conversation about, about Jesus sacrificing his son. And he said, I just know that I couldn't do that. You know, I love my son. I could not do that. And I agree with him. I was like, I have three kids. I, I couldn't, you know, I had a very difficult time. That's why God is God. We are who we are. God is greater than uh, anybody and anything uh, that we can ever encounter. And it's, it's far past our understanding to understand the greatness of God. And so we were just talking about that. And, and I, in that moment, and through several conversations, had the opportunity to witness to him. And right after that, it was almost maybe a couple weeks after that, I got a call from, it was, it was a group of cluster of stations within that same company, um, the manager from the other station that was bigger, and better and more money. She called and they negotiated and she said, I wanted him to work with me. And so I was able to work with the station that I never thought I'd be able to, but I was blessed, I believe, because I stayed in that situation. I allowed God to, to work with me through the offense and through the offensive behavior and through all the, the, the craziness that I had to deal with with that manager. Um, and God graduated me to the next level. And, and, and you know, it's, it's your business to live your life according to God's word and, and to walk according to his will for your life. It's your business to understand that life is full of ups and downs, but you have a choice. It's your decision to have a joyful anticipation for life and all that God has allowed you to become. It's your decision to stop complaining about this person or that person who looked at you the wrong way it's your decision to lock in your seatbelt, pull down your restraint bar, and enjoy that ride. Every branch that bears fruit must be pruned and bear to, in order to bear more fruit. There, there's a man who talks about having a tomato plant in his garden that has been uh, living for about two years. And every winter, the cold weather and heavy breeze kill more than half the vines uh, and leaves. And he said... I don't prune the dead, it will, you know, if, if I don't prune the dead, it will spread and kill the whole plant. So he said, I must prune what is wilted to save the rest of the plant. In turn, the plant grows bigger, it grows stronger, bears more tomatoes than before. The tomatoes don't only multiply, but they are much more pleasing in their flavor. And we must allow God to prune the wilted friends. Prune the wilted habits, prune the wilted thoughts, and wilted possessions out of our lives. 
by allowing this to happen, we will grow stronger and bear more fruit for the kingdom of God. We will not only add to the kingdom in quantity, but also in quality. The fruit we bear will be much more pleasing to God. Like David did, he asked God to search, to, uh, search uh, ask God to search your heart of any offense. David wrote, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Jesus said that his father prunes his children. The richest, fullest, most fruitful lives are those that have been strengthened through the painful process of tribulation. We have no right to think God will use us until he cuts away whatever may hinder our growth. What we see as offense may be only blessings in disguise. The tragedies we experience might be the opportunity through which God chooses to exhibit his love and grace. Psalms 84 and 11 says, God will not withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly. Even in your painful situation, you can trust him to do what is best. The Lord cuts away the unusual, unusable only to make us more usable. God said that he would, that you have life and that you would have life more abundantly. Yes, offenses will come, according to what Jesus said, but God will handle it. God will protect your mind if you take that radical step, a step that doesn't seem right, but in the end, it will work for your good. God will help you if you just let it go. If you can just let it go and move forward and be what God wants you to be. If you're the offender, you find yourself with those ways, stop it. Or if you have or you have God to deal with. If you're the offended, don't allow yourself to become bitter and angry because of it. That bitterness and anger will ultimately infect you. And if you're not careful, you will turn into the person that you are despising. Instead, understand that life has its ups and downs. You have a choice. Will you choose to enjoy the ride? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this time and this opportunity again to just hear from you and learn from you, Lord. Even though we have our trials and tests in life, we have our tribulations and we deal with difficulty and difficult people, we just ask that you strengthen us, Lord. Help us to understand your word. Help us to understand you. Understand that it's not a strange thing that happens to us when we go through fiery trials. But Lord, we ask for your help to understand that we can, even though we don't know the ups and downs and the twists and turns that might be ahead of us, that you can help us, Lord, just enjoy the ride. It has its ups and downs. But Lord, we, we pray and we ask you to help us enjoy the ride that we take in life and help us to be better, Lord. And um, we just ask for your blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.